Grace and peace to you in the name of our strength and our Redeemer. Today our text will be from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. It's also in your bulletins. All right. At my home church, I would say when you have that, say amen. I'm just going to do that right now. If you have that, say amen. All right. Together. A little me to you, a little you to me. And just for context, this evening's text is set early in the the story of Israel. God has just freed the children of Israel from Egypt. um, And through his chosen leader, Moses, God is giving the people stipulations for how to live life now with him as, as their king. So now turn your attention with me to the word of God, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. This is the word of our Lord. Turn to him now in prayer. Father in heaven, your word says, may your unfailing love come to us, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. So, Father, now we ask that you would bless, according to your holy will, Spirit of the living God, anoint Jesus, be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So good to be with you here tonight um, and to to serve with you at uh, the Bethany Summer Camp, uh, Disciples, as we call it, Um, through this camp and, and other ministry endeavors. I'm given an opportunity to work with a lot of different youth. And in my own denomination, a couple months ago, we have this, uh, one of our conventions, the AUBA, we have this, this big edu- Christian educational push, and it's called the Roundup. And for the Roundup, I was selected to teach uh, young black boys um, what it means to develop godly character as a 12 to 14-year-old. And uh, it was a great undertaking, one that I love, one I'm thankful that someone gave to me. And uh, so I sat with my boys and uh, went with them through J.C. Rouse, Thoughts for Young Men. Uh, a young man had stopped the class with a question. And in the middle of the first unit, he said, my youth minister taught us that obey, obey is a four-letter word in Christ. And immediately, I, I disagreed as, as gracefully as I could, and uh, I called him to reconsider what the Bible really does say to us about obeying the Lord. And I thought of ways to fold in appropriate scripture so that graciously I could lead him through this and help him understand that, well, his youth minister might have been wrong. He, he may still love him, but the, the word of God is our authority, and it's not a four-letter word in the Bible. But how do I communicate this to him? And I just maybe wanted to give him something like John 14, 15. It says, if you, if you love the Lord, you obey his commands. Uh, but, but this boy, even in the class, was set in his way. And he felt that he was free to do whatever he pleased. He didn't have to obey God. So anyone under God also isn't worth obeying. His parents, his teachers, any civil law. Because Christ had freed him from all that. And as much as it hurt my heart, um, I really wanted him to understand that it's true that Christ is able to save a soul from sin, hell, and the grave. That is true. 
But obedience is not optional. The phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, is package deal. The Lord and Christ aren't separated. They, they aren't optional. It's not like buying a car. Lord is not heated seats. And I just wanted him to understand what it meant before this young man and, and many others, a notion of obedience to God out of love is foolishness. To him, the gospel is a get-out-of-hell-free card to fly in the face of God's law. And that Saturday morning, I really wish that I could have shared with him and his youth minister the richness that I've gotten from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, specifically question number 44, right? It states, um, what does the preface to the Ten Commandments teach us? And the answer being the preface to the Ten Commandments teaches us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all his commandments. And neither that young man or his, his youth minister may have may have really seen the richness of what we have just read in Exodus chapter 21 and 2. Um, we get to taste from it today from God's word. And I believe that the Vons who wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism were correct. And I do believe that the text does call us, and it calls us to embrace the better binding of the Lord. So that will be our focus today. So we talk about the preface to the Lord, to the, to the Ten Commandments. And so it's first important to understand what is a preference, a preface. Simply a preface is an introduction. And I like to think of it in this, this specific text as an introduction of truth that leads us to a greater truth, right? So another way, it's like a, like a primer in painting, right? So you put the primer coat down so that the next coat sticks better, so that the next coat applies evenly, so that you get the true color from the paint that you want to apply. We need a primer. That's the way I like to think of a preface in this. This helps us to see the Ten Commandments more clearly, more vividly. And prefaces are familiar for all of us. We've bumped into them many times, and I'll prove it to you, okay? I'm going, to st I'm going to read a little bit of a preface and just put in your head what it belongs to. You ready? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish just justice, ensure domestic tranquility, you know that comes from the preface to the Constitution, right? Right, I see, I see some heads. I hope so. <laughs> Even in the Word of God, in the Bible, if we were to turn to Luke 11, um, okay, I know, I know you know this one, I know you know this one. One of the disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, ah, ah, you do know it. <laughs> Praise be to God, this is the preface to the Lord's Prayer. So, these, these prefaces aren't uncommon to us. We understand exactly what they do, how they establish a scope, and they, they, they prime our mind, they condition it for what's to come, right? So here's what happens if we forego prefaces. If we just give the Constitution to someone, 
they may read it rigidly and not see the goal of the Constitution, to twist it and distort it in the way that they want to. If they don't have the preface to the Lord's Prayer, you could pray it rotely. And we know what happens when you do that. And they miss out on the richness and the fullness of a prayer relationship with the Lord. They're good things, but without the preface, you miss the fullness. So let's apply this now to the Ten Commandments. Because it really does, like I said, prime our mind with the simple truth so that we have context for the law that follows. And I think that's what happens sometimes with the Ten Commandments, that we do overlook the preface. I can't remember from my childhood if when I saw it listed on chalkboard walls or on courthouses if the preface was also included. But I believe that sometimes people do see in popular culture the Ten Commandments as just a list of rules from some cosmic meanie, some bad guy who doesn't want people to be free or happy. Oh, that's just some rules from some oppressive God who lets men get away with everything and who hates women, who won't let me love who I want to love, or calls me to give one day a week when I would rather just watch Netflix. And the stained walls of our sin, without that primer, don't allow us to vividly see what God is trying to do to give us real life, to give us real freedom. So our first step now that we we have an understanding of what the preface can do for us is to to understand now how how does this lead us to embrace now the better binding of the Lord? Well, I think in verse 1, it helps us see that we have to first, we have to realize that God is talking to you. Okay, no one seems really excited about that. <laughs> God is talking to you. The ruler of the universe is speaking to you, the creator of heaven and earth. He who is not just described as good, but goodness himself. All power, all authority. This is God. He is speaking to you, and it's, it's, it's so wonderful, but it's so easy to take for granted that God would speak to you. Okay, for example, we have a TV show now called God Friended Me, and it chronicles the life of a man who gets a Facebook friend request from someone named God. And because of what this God on Facebook says to him, he changes the way he lives his life. All of his intentions, the way he treats people. He's even pulled his friends in to help him consider what God has said to him because of a Facebook request. Did you know that this TV show drew in an average of 9 million viewers last season? Nine million viewers. According to the American Bible Society, in the 2019 State of the Bible report, it said that 57% of Americans are identified as Bible neutral or Bible disengaged. They could either care less or it's really not that important. Yet a TV show about God being your friend and speaking to you regularly gets nine million viewers 
prime time. But we who have accepted the person and work of Jesus Christ, now we have his spirit. And by, by his spirit, we can, we can hear what the Lord says all the time. We have the word. We have a personal message from God that leads us to salvation. And we should rejoice in this fact. We should take what he has to say to us very seriously. So when we realize that God is talking to you, I would, if I was at my home church, invite you to say amen. amen. Because God is indeed talking to us. He's not a God. He's not a cosmic meaning that sits off in space. He could have left us in our own misery, but he didn't. The way, one of the ways he showed he loved us is by giving us his word, by keeping it through time so that we could eat from it and reap the benefits of it, that we could come into a saving relationship with him. He shows us that he loves us by the best love letter ever written. And in it just happen to be rules on his way and his will that show us a better life. Praise, the God, praise God for his holy word. And this reason could have just been, well, because he said so. You know, like when we argue with our brother and sister, just do that. Oh, because I said so. And as unsatisfying as that, as that feels with, with the Lord, his authority actually is sufficient. We could have just ended, because he said so, go do it. But God decided to give us his word, this personal message to us. And I want to even suggest, because, and I think some of you also know that it's loving. The Ten Commandments communicate God's will and his ways. What else really deserves our embrace? Certainly not a TV show. This is a treasure. And so is his law. So with this in mind, the preface understood, understanding that God himself is speaking to us through his word, now we can embrace this better binding. How? By understanding our relationship with God. Let's look at verse 2a. In English it says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And, and, and as thankful as we are for that reality, I'd like to see it in HD. That's the Hebrew definition. <laughs> Where it says in Hebrew, Anoki Adonai, which is the placeholder for yod the covenant name of God, Elohecha. So what is God doing here? He's using his covenant name. He's defining our relationship. And when he does that, he tells us a little bit more about how we are to respond to him. Okay, so let's, all right, hopefully this is a helpful illustration. So say a man gets married, and he introduces, this is my wife, and that is my wife, and that is my wife. His true wife would not be pleased. <laughs> because this title means something. My wife. There was a relationship that made its way to a development that made its way to vows made and promises offered to one another. Things only between those two people and not this woman, that woman, and that woman. And that relationship comes with duties 
that he promised and she promised. So if we know this just simply from the relationship of a husband and a wife, when the Lord says, I am your God, using his covenant name, we have to understand that it is also loaded with duty and responsibility. It speaks of that beautiful relationship that we have with God as his people. Not everybody calls him yod heh vav He is not the covenant God to everyone on this earth. Even some that do claim him as God. He defines the relationship. For the original people who heard this, the children of Israel, their posture should have immediately changed. Ah, I know this. This isn't the same God that were worshipped in Egypt. This is different. He is different. This relationship is different. And when those in Christ hear that covenant name, we need to identify with our covenant family history. And we also need to change our posture. We need to change the way that we look at the law that he has given us. It's not just a list of rules, but guidelines for our family that have blessed our family from age to age where we are now grafted in. When God is using that name, we, were, we remember that we're bound not just to his rules, but to him. And this relationship comes with certain duties that we should embrace. By using his covenant name. Covenant is so important, even for, for children that sit here today on this Mother's Day. Oftentimes, when our moms tell us to do things, my mom is sitting back there, she'll tell you. When they tell us to do things, oftentimes we don't want to listen. Because sometimes we think we know better than they do. But part of their duty as your parents is to raise you in fear and admonition of the Lord. As a covenant child, they're to teach you the love of God and this history and this, this family that God has made you a part of. And your response and their responsibility is when they discipline you to put it in context, to, to help you see that you don't just listen to them, but you obey the Lord by listening to them. And they will teach you how to obey the Lord. It's not we just brush off mom because she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's responsible to God for everything that she teaches you and trains you to do. And when we see that God has given us our mothers as a gift from him to teach us how to be part of his covenant family, then we could embrace our mothers and love them more, obey them even. And it causes us to worship God that he gave us such wonderful gifts. And that applies to all of us. There's no limit on how long we're supposed to honor our mother and father. We understand our relationship with God to embrace this better binding. So what about this better binding? Verse 2c says, this is God, the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And what strikes me is at one point, God used Egypt to keep his covenant family, his covenant people fed and alive. But we understand a Pharaoh came who knew not Joseph and the leadership changed and the people then went from this, this great salvation to being oppressed and in slavery. And we should all be able to identify with that. In fact, we can because God did, in fact, make our whole world good. But Adam, our first forefather, our first father, decided to follow another leader. 
And now man is born oppressed by not just physical slavery, but a spiritual slavery by sin. And we can see in this that we're never really authority neutral. Something always lords over us. We can be, if we're born in sin, then we never had a chance from the gate. There was always something that lorded over us. And sin is a cruel slave master. It hates us. The purpose is to grind us into dust, to tear us away from our creator. We're never authority neutral. In fact, one of the purposes of the law is to show us that. But God offers a better way, a better life under his authority. This is the better binding. And we praise God for it. But sometimes it's hard to see. So consider this with me. Has anyone here ever rescued an animal from a shelter? Okay, I saw a hand. I saw two hands. All right. Three hands. So tell me, when you brought this animal home, when you brought this animal home, did you just open up the cage and say, you're free. Go and live life. All that you were made to be. No, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that because the dog could, he could do things like he could get into chocolate and hurt himself by what he eats. He could run out into traffic. Or for a dog that was abused, he might even turn on his master. He might literally bite the hand that feeds him. He could hurt the people in the home. But we understand that when a dog or an animal is rescued from one of these shelters, we have to show it love in this new environment. And we don't just give them unlimited freedom, but we may release them from a cage and put them out in a yard and give them a fence, which are a lot like rules, and we teach them this new way. And they're not going to do it right every time. They're probably going to do it wrong a whole lot in the beginning. But we've rescued this animal, and we love this animal, and we want to give it a better life, one better than the abuse or the neglect that it had before. You start to show him love over dysfunction. And we see love as a fence as a rule. And God does that to us with his better binding. He keeps us by his law so that we can truly be free and we can truly be loved by him. His law is a fence for us. It keeps the hurt out and it keeps the love in and on us. And this is what God does for us. Because if we understand that we weren't ever authority neutral and that we were under sin and sin was a cruel slave master as we all shook our heads to just a moment ago, then we understand that if God has adopted us, he's now brought us into his kingdom, he's now put a fence about us, then we should love and embrace him for keeping the hurt out and the love in and on us. So what does this mean in Christ? As Christians, we understand that Israel failed at keeping the law, and it showed us that the world needed a Savior. We got that? That's clear. We needed a Savior who could keep the law, and Jesus was the God-man for the job. He did it perfectly. He kept it 
for us. He redeemed us by his own blood and by his death. He rescues us. He rescued us from the slavery of his sin and death by his resurrection. He restored creation by bringing believers into a perfect relationship with him. This is what our God has done for us. It's not just a list of rules. We embrace it as what he has done for us in love as the elect, his chosen, whom he freed. And if a rescued dog can grow to love his new master, we too, have, who have been given so much more, we should thankfully obey our Lord. He obeyed the Father even unto death. And so in our union with him, we should embrace the spirit within us that enables us to do the same. Obey the Father, even, even to kill our own desires to whatever God would call us to. My brothers and my sisters, God is speaking to us. And for those here who, who may not be Christians yet, who, but can see that God truly does offer so much, better than, so much better than anything this world offers. He desires a relationship with you. He even sends preachers with afros on Sunday afternoons to tell you that. He'll stop at nothing to show you how much he cares for you. Even as your Lord, life in Christ is so much better. I'm not promising that it's easy. It's not. But I promise you the retirement plan is incredible. <laughs> but for all of us, my hope is that you'll see from his word that it is worth embracing the better binding of the Lord. Let us pray together.